0: All right, Uh, well, nothing like shifting gears uh, in that regard. To pray uh, for the safety and security team as they put plans together to make sure our kids and and we all are are protected as well, the best that we can for for human planning. Um, This morning we are continuing our series in the book of James, uh, and so I'd love it if you would open up your um, Bibles either in the seat in front of you Or if you brought your phone or your iPad, go ahead and turn those on uh, to the book of James. We're going to be in James chapter 2. I'm going to pray for my friend Roger uh, as he is uh, sharing with you today. He is a pastor, and uh, we are unbelievably gifted uh, and privileged to have him. So would you please welcome Roger to the stage? All right. Let's pray for Roger as he shares God's word. God, we... uh, we are so excited to hear what you have to say in and through Roger. Thank you for uh, the work that you've done in his life. Thank you for the faith that you have uh, both given and matured in him. Uh, thank you for his continued journey of faith and, and what that lives looks like to be lived out. Uh, and, and again, where it's hard and, and where it's good. Um, so please speak through him. Allow his words to penetrate our hearts uh, because they are your words. Protect him as he speaks and give us ears and eyes and hearts to receive uh, that which you have prepared. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
1: Thank you, Brian. Uh, I am uh, connected to Rock Creek. Uh, my, my family, the Repentings, attend here And I also, um, I was on staff with Galen Huck, who was the uh, church planter that planted Rock Creek. Uh, He and I were on staff together in Cheyenne for eight years. And so Rock Creek has been near and dear to our hearts for a long, long time. You know, some of the things that have already been said this morning, I just want to reiterate and maybe because I'm an outsider, um, you guys can hear it and it can be a little weightier when I say this is an awesome church. And this is a place that God wants to use to do incredible things. I actually can remember when this, this church was being built and realizing its placement and its city on a hill that it represents. This is an incredible place. My prayer is that as I get an opportunity to share, and, and those of you that know my story, I, I'm... I'm it seems like God has been doing a number in my life for a while, and there's just lots of things that He wants to get out. So forgive me if I just start, just kind of starts pouring out of me. But I, I believe with all my heart that God most importantly wants all of us to leave this place changed and ready to make the impact that God wants each of us to make. This morning, I'm going to be talking, uh, the title of our message is Let Me Demonstrate. And I think it falls in line with this whole idea of God wants to use you to be a difference maker. Christ died on the cross. He did what he did so that we would be a changed people. We are a changed people. We need to live that way. And that's the point of our message this morning. Now, Brian prayed for me, so I want to pray for you as we get started. Let's pray. God... uh, It is a thrill to stand here before your people this morning. What a privilege. And God, with uh, tremendous humility, I ask that you be our teacher today. God, that you have your way in each one of us. And that individually we would have the ear that we need to hear the message that you have for each one of us. That's what's so great about you, God, the awesome God you are, that you can do that with each one of us all sitting here at the same time. Something very specific for each one of us. That's our prayer this morning. We give you this time. You teach us, change us, send us out that we would make a difference. In Christ's name we pray, amen. The one thing that I would add to what Brian said about the Bible that's underneath your chair, if you don't own a Bible, please accept one of these Bibles as a gift from Rock, as a gift from Rock Creek. We certainly want you to have your hands on the scriptures. And, and I am going to be covering a lot of different passages this morning. Some of them will be on the screen um, and others will not. And so you might want to grab one just so you can follow along. James chapter two, one of my, actually the whole book of James is one of my favorite books and in particular, James chapter two, because it talks about to me, what I think are very practical things that we can hold on to and things that God wants us to make sure that we incorporate into our lives. Um, and so we're going to look at the latter part of James chapter two. We're going to begin in verse 14 and in just a minute, I'm going to read that passage, but I'm going to have you guys do something that I've never had anybody ever do before when I've given a message. In just a moment, I'm gonna have a stand. As I think about our day and time, I realize that we stand for that, that bride as she walks down the aisle to be married. We stand for dignitaries as they come into a room. Some of us, fanatics, even stand when our team runs out on the football field. And yet I fear that we have stopped honoring and giving the reverence to this word. And I I just believe with all my heart that that we need to be mindful that it is exactly what it says it is. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, these are the very words of God, breathed out by him. Hebrews 4.12 says it's alive and active. No other book has there ever been or will there ever be like this book? Alive and active, piercing. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. So would you stand with me as we read from James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? You see that his faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, So also faith apart from works is dead. You may be seated. Faith and works. Faith and works. It's so important that we understand the tension that is here. And as we're going to see as we walk through this passage, there is some tension. So it's my hope that first we understand what exactly James is challenging us with. What's the idea? So that we know that, so that we can stand on that. And then after that, some practical application for us so that we can rise to that challenge that he has for us. Because again, he wants us to leave this place changed. The word is alive and active. Supposed to do some changing in our lives every time we open it. So that's our prayer this morning. So to kind of get us to to a place of understanding, I want to work from the back of the passage up to the front. And so I want to talk first about Rahab. Rahab, the story of Rahab, is found in Joshua chapter 2. If you, have, if you want to, you can turn back there. I do think that, that you'll see some of these verses on the screen. But Joshua chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim to, as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I, do, I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flask that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof, and she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melted away before you. For you have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you, before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who are beyond the Jordan to Shion and Og whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God, in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. What's interesting about Rahab and why I believe James uses her as a great example is as we just see in this passage, the first thing that's highlighted about Rahab is what she did, then followed by what she said. Verse 4 But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, demonstration of her faith. Then confirmed by what she says at the end of our passage in verse 11. He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Isn't that refreshing? Somebody that's going to just demonstrate what they believe? We live in in a day and time where people will talk and talk and talk. But it isn't until we see it that we believe it. And honestly, again, with social media, the the uprise of social media opportunities everywhere, people are really very intentional about capturing their actions. I mean, people are always taking pictures of them doing their makeup or them falling on the way out out the front door, whatever. We're always trying to capture our actions. Why? Because we all know it, folks. Actions speak louder than words good, bad, or indifferent, our actions are always speaking. And for Rahab, what we see here is that clearly she demonstrated the belief that God is the one true God, putting her life at jeopardy, hiding the spies, because she believed that God was and is the one true God. It's a beautiful picture. And it's why in, in James, back in our passage, in verse 24, it's why James writes, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Justified. Justified is, is actually a very key word for us this morning. And it's a word that I think that God wants to make sure that all of us have a strong handle on. And so to help us better understand that, we're gonna now look at Abraham. Abraham. Because Abraham and the word justified is really mentioned about, I mean, a lot about him. Back in our passage in James chapter 2, verse 21, it says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? There's that word justified. And what does it mean? Again, let's take a look back in Genesis at the account that James is referring to. Genesis chapter 22 is the account that he is alluding to. James chapter 22, verse 1, it says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Jump down to verse 7. "'And Isaac said to his father Abraham, "'My father,' and he said, "'Here I am, my son.' "'He said, "'Behold the fire and the wood, "'and where is the lamb for a burnt offering?' "'But where is the lamb for the burnt offering?' "'Abraham said, "'God will provide for himself "'the lamb for a burnt offering, my son.' "'So they went both of them together. Well, they, "'When they came to the place of which God had told them, "'Abraham built the altar there, "'and laid the wood in order, "'and bound Isaac, his son, "'and laid him on the altar, on top of the wood.' Then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Such a powerful story. Such a demonstration of faith. I can't even fathom what was going through both of their minds. Because here we have the scripture. We have a, a young boy that is wise enough to realize, hey, wait a minute, there's no lamb. What's this stuff? Why are we carrying all this up to this sacrifice, but we don't have a lamb? He's smart enough to realize there's no lamb. His dad tells him God's gonna provide. There will be a lamb. They keep marching on. They go up to the place that God shows them and the altar is built. Abraham builds the altar. Again, you've got to be thinking, here's this little boy looking like, where's this lamb? What in the world is going to happen here? And then all of a sudden what happens? Dad reaches down and starts binding up his son, Isaac, whom he loved. Now, I have six-month-old grandbabies, okay, twin boys, and I think about the wrestling match that I have with them when I'm just trying to get them to fall asleep on my chest. It's hard. I mean, they're fighting me, fighting me. This is a young boy that realizes his dad is binding him up to lay him on the altar. Again, a wrestling match that I cannot comprehend. But also the pain in the dad, Abraham, And folks, the way the Bible tells it, and so this is what happened. Isaac is laying there on the altar and Abraham gets the knife all the way up here and about ready to plunge it into his son when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, God, in the 11th hour, stops him before he takes that knife and puts it into his son. But folks, what did Abraham demonstrate? His belief here. His belief that God could do whatever God can do. He's he's the God of the universe. He can do whatever he wants to do. I'm gonna trust him. An unbelievable demonstration of faith. Powerful. A powerful demonstration. Again, if if we look back in our passage, in James, what James says, he says, "'Was not Abraham our father justified by works "'when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar?' So wasn't it his works that justified him? Wasn't it those works? There's that word justified. So what is it? Is it about our works? Now some of you would say, you know what, Roger? I I know a long time ago when I was a little kid, I heard the Bible verses that says, "For by grace you've been saved through faith. This not of yourself, not by works, so that no man can boast." That doesn't. Those two things don't seem to compute. They don't seem to go together. There seems to be a contradiction. Well, it just so happens that the Apostle Paul writes a lot about this justification as well. And so actually, I'm not going to help my case at all, but I want you to turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, and listen to what Paul says about justification. Romans 3 verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God in Jesus. So right here, Paul is making it very clear that it is about what God has done. He starts by saying all of us have sinned, every single one of us. And because of that sin, we cannot stand before a holy God. We cannot be righteous in and of ourselves. It can't happen. So there had to be this propitiation, this perfect blood shed to answer God's wrath, Jesus, the only sinless one, had to take on that cross. He is that perfect sacrifice that took care of it for all of us who would believe in Jesus Christ. And that's this idea of justification. A long time ago, somebody, a pastor, I remember a pastor said this a long time ago, and I don't, it's kind of corny, but it works, and so I, I, I use it. Justification is just as if I'd never sinned. Just as if I'd never sinned. But folks, that according to Paul in Romans and honestly according to what we believe that the Bible teaches, that is because of what Jesus did on the cross. It's not anything that we earn. It is by his grace. It is a gift that we are justified, just as if we had never sinned. That's how God sees us when we embrace the truth that Jesus died on the cross for us. When you embrace that, then you are seen as just as if you'd never sinned because of God's work. Now, to further complicate it, chapter four of Romans, verse one. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham? So here we are, Abraham. James uses Abraham, talks about being justified by our works. Here's Paul. So what then shall we say is gained by, uh, gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, this word righteousness, again, goes back to how God saw him, how God sees us because of Jesus' shed blood. When we trust Jesus, we are seen as righteous. God saw Abraham because he believed God, not because of raising the knife about to plunge it into his son. So again, Paul laying it out. It's about what God has done. It's all about God and not about us. And yet James, he's saying, but wait a minute. Our faith is justified by our works. So I know that for all of you, it's very clear as mud. So what I want to do is I found something that, as I was reading, I found this um, excerpt from the Vines Bible Dictionary, kind of under the heading of justification. It says, justification is primarily... And gratuitously by faith, subsequently and evidentially by works. In regard to justification by works, the so the called contradiction between James and the Apostle Paul is only apparent. There is harmony in the different views of the subject. Paul has in mind Abraham's attitude towards God, his acceptance of God's word. This was a matter known only to God, between God and Abraham. The Roman epistle is, the Romans epistle is occupied with the effect of this God word attitude, not upon Abraham's character or actions, but upon the contrast between faith and the lack of it, namely unbelief. So those that believe that Jesus died on the cross to save them from their sins, and those that don't believe that. That's the distinction, the focus, that Paul is focused on. It goes on to say, James is occupied with the contrast between faith that is real and faith that is false, a faith barren and dead, which is not faith at all. So with justification, Paul is occupied with the right relationship with God, James with right conduct. So first, and I want to say it this way, Paul is focused on the right relationship. And if you think of justification and we think of the way that Paul talks about it and the, and the way James talks about it, it's on a continuum in a sense because it begins here with Paul and the fact that what Jesus did on the cross, if we embrace that truth, we are justified just as if we'd never sinned. But then what James is talking about is then it should look like it in how we live. That there should be evidence of this change should be evidenced, demonstrated by how we live. Folks, this is such a big deal. And there is not, they, they do, they are in harmony. There is no contradiction. But once we understand this We need to move over and make sure we're getting this. This justification that we get because of Jesus translates into how we are going to live. Our conduct, like the the Bible dictionary talks about. What are we going to demonstrate? The bottom line is, folks, our actions always speak. It always communicates what we believe. And so honestly, this is when I hope all of us are a little bit uncomfortable when we realize, oh, that's right. I say I believe this, do my actions back it up? You know, a very silly illustration, but I always, I'm telling my wife I'm getting better and I don't get upset when the Broncos are losing. You know, I'm in for a tough one today, we know that. <laughs> right? But, but what's demonstrated in my actions is I still get upset. And so it it doesn't matter what I'm saying. What matters are my actions. It's even more so important when it comes to Jesus and our demonstrating our faith in him. This idea of demonstration, I think it takes me back to when I was in, in elementary school. And this is where we start to get a little practical about this whole idea of faith and works, how we rise to the challenge that James is issuing here. When we think about it, we think, again, I go back to elementary school when a math teacher would say, hey, would anybody raise their, raise your hand if you're willing to go up and do one of these story problems on the chalkboard. It was a chalkboard back in my day, dry eraser board now. But back in my day, raise your hand if you're willing to go do a problem. Now, there were some kids, and honestly, I was one of those kids that many times would raise my hand. What was I communicating? I was communicating, let me demonstrate it. I can do it put me up there my question for all of us today is what if God were to come down right now and ask all of us raise your hand if you're willing to demonstrate your faith how many of us would raise our hand amen my guess is that not a lot of us would do it one because we know our works we know the flaws that we have folks that's true we have those Again, let's go back to the beginning. What has Jesus done? Jesus has made us righteous. So let's not be tripped up by that. Why? Because with all of my heart, I believe God wants every one of us to be able to raise our hand and say, pick me. Let me demonstrate my faith. And really, that's the practical takeaway for us today. How do we get to this place that we will raise our hand and say, let me demonstrate? Because with all of my heart, I believe, and I've said that a lot of times, but again, I told you, it's pouring out of me with all my heart. I believe that God is most glorified when we can demonstrate our faith through the motivation of Christ and the fueling of the Holy Spirit. That's how we can get there. That's how we can raise our hand and say, pick me, pick me, let me demonstrate. The motivation of Christ and the fueling of the Holy Spirit we think about first the motivation of Christ. When I say motivation of Christ, it's both what he says and what he has done. Both of those things give us the impetus, the motivation to live the way that God wants us to live. He's our example. Two essentials that I want us to look at today. There's a multitude of of things that we can be adding to our life to demonstrate our faith in Jesus. But two key ones I think that are non-negotiables. Essentials, that we must be willing to, and we must be embracing and demonstrating. The first one, uh, actually Jesus talks about in Luke 10, verse 27. And And the Bible says, and he answers, so this is Jesus answering the question, you know, how do you sum up the law and the prophets? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's love. That's that first step. The Bible tells us in Romans 5, 8, and and especially in the NIV, it says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. God was the first one to raise his hand. He said, let me demonstrate. I'll send my son for all of you. He demonstrated it for us. But what, what... actually continues to, to me, just continues to build the case that love has got to be kind of the umbrella. It's got to be the place we start. Is that in John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus says, they will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. What marks us as devout followers of Jesus is the love that we have for one another. That love Marks us. So when people see it, they can say, I bet that guy, I bet that gal, I bet they're Christians. The love is the marker. Just, it's been, it's been kind of an amazing year for the Whitmore household. And um, in the middle of the summer, we were tremendously blessed by this wonderful gift of love. Um, just kind of, I got a phone call and then uh, a a week or so later, uh, we received this incredible financial blessing to help us with just some groceries. It was this amazing gift. And I share that with you because that gift came from here, Rock Creek Church. Out of nowhere, and honestly just because of conversations and, and people identifying where we were, they decided to extend this incredible gift of love. That's why I can say with all the confidence, this is a great church. I've received the blessing of love that has been extended from here. That's how come come God says it marks us. Our love marks us. But folks, the opposite is also true. Our lack of love marks us. And in whatever capacity, and you know, we could talk for hours about what love looks like or what love doesn't look like, but you know what? You guys know. All of us, every one of us in here, we know where we ought to love and we're not. And we know how God has used our love and where he wants to continue to use it. It's a primary and essential way for us to demonstrate it's that motivation love is the I want to say the overarching essential. But from love flows the second and I think that's service. For Jesus himself says in Mark 10:45 he says for the son of man did not or came not to serve or came not to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The king of kings, the lord of lords he came to serve. That's why he came. And as he came, he demonstrates for all of us what we should do. He said it, king of kings, he's going to serve, not be served. But he also modeled it. I mentioned that passage in, in John. John 13, in the beginning of the chapter of John 13, we read about the account of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. Now, of course, I can only imagine what that was like. But here are the disciples. They're reclining. They're hanging out with Jesus. Jesus is their leader, their Lord. And all of a sudden, he, pulled, he cinches up his robe. He puts a towel over his arm, and he drops to his knees, and he starts washing the feet of the disciples. Now, if you're familiar with the story, you know that there's one disciple that doesn't want any of it because he's like, no way, there's no way I'm gonna let you do that. But Jesus is like, yeah, you will because this is what I need you to understand. And listen to what he says in verse 13 of chapter 13. He says, after it's over, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet You also ought to wash one another's feet. Jesus said that he came to serve, not be served. He gave us a model to follow. It's another one another. Love one another, serve one another. We become difference makers. But folks, our motivation in Christ, we can be motivated and we can read the Bible and we can know that this is all that God wants us to do. But if that's all we're going to lean into, we're going to be just like somebody hanging on a chin-up bar. Now, a guy like me, I can get up there and hold for about three seconds. And then what happens is the weight of the rest of my body, it just starts to drag me down. And my arms are like this. And before you know it, I'm a chimpanzee and my arms are so stretched. Eventually, I've got to let go because I can't do it on my own. I can't white-knuckle this motivation to love and serve. But what I can do is I can embrace the fueling that comes from the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit empowers, the Holy Spirit fills, the Holy Spirit bears fruit in us. Now, there are other things that the Holy Spirit does, but when it comes to the fueling, first we need to realize He empowers. Acts 1.8. But he, when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, you'll receive power to be my witnesses. That's the same power that brought Jesus from the dead. It's inside of us. Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit inside with that power. We tap into that power. We need to tap into that power. The second is that it fills us. The Holy Spirit has a desire to fill us up. But folks, let me say, that's, it, it's different than receiving that power. It's allowing that power to raise to the brim in our lives. In Ephesians 5, 5.18, the scripture says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. A week ago, Saturday night, I was in Cheyenne. There was a 25th anniversary celebration for Cheyenne Hills. And after the celebration, I was driving into town, and on my way into town, a man sped and blew right through a stop sign, and he and I T boned in this intersection in Cheyenne, Wyoming. It was actually a horrible accident. And God totally protected me, and that's really not the point. The point is that when we got all the dust was settled and we realized what was going on with myself and the the other driver, the the other driver was issued a DUI. He was completely intoxicated. His life was under the control of alcohol. Paul uses this picture because it's something that can be identified. We all, probably every, almost every one of us in this room have seen people that have been controlled by alcohol. But how much more important is it for us as believers to be controlled, filled by the Holy Spirit? Now, I don't know about you, but I know in my own life, God's done some things to help me understand what it means to push off myself, to stop living under my own control and just let him lead. That's what it means for us to be filled, to surrender and say, okay, God, take all of me. You fill me with your spirit. And Holy Spirit, you lead where you want to lead. I only want to follow where you lead because me, myself, I don't get very far. And I don't get where you want me to get. I need to get where you want me to get. So fill me up. Fill me to the brim with you. When that happens, folks, we're bearing fruit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, Faithfulness and self-control. It's so great at the end. Against such thing, there is no law. In other words, you're not going to get in trouble for doing those things. You are never going to get busted, certainly in the eyes of God, for having those fruits demonstrated. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. All of those things are fruit that we, as Christ followers, should be demonstrating. It comes back to what I said earlier, that if we want to give God glory, we're going to demonstrate a faith that's motivated by Christ, fueled by the Holy Spirit. Rock Creek, every one of you in this room, when we're doing that, we're raising our hand and we're saying, Lord, God, pick me. Let me demonstrate my faith. Because with everything I am, I want to be the difference maker you want me to be. Let's pray together. Father, first, God, thank you so much for your love. Thank you that you modeled it for us first, that we would have an understanding of what it looks like. Jesus, your obedient work on the cross was for us. It's nothing that we earned, nothing that we deserved. In fact, we deserved the opposite. But because of your love and obedience, you took on that cross for us. And God, I think simply put, because of what you've done, we want to demonstrate our faith for you. God, my prayer is that you would send each one of us out of here out of here with a desire to raise our hands and say, Lord, let me demonstrate. Thank you, God, for being our teacher this morning. Thanks for honoring your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.